0: Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people here in Western Australia. Stories to inspire and guide you to take action to be all you can be. Today, my guest is Cassie Zacharias. Born in Sri Lanka, Cassie was raised in numerous countries, including Canada and Botswana. A classically trained dancer and Ontario scholar, Cassie graduated from York University in Toronto and then went on to rise to great levels of success in her corporate career. However, underneath this, there was a depression that had been with her since 16, and little did she know that she became a workaholic as a coping addiction to cover up what she was soon to face inside. She took short career breaks in 2009 and 11, but they didn't go deep enough. Then, in December 2012, determined to do whatever it takes to find freedom from her depression, she unexpectedly quit her job as global marketing manager with no plan or clear next step. Without a career as a coping mechanism, she hit rock bottom over the following few months and planned to end her life. However, she obviously didn't. And we're going to hear more about her amazing journey, which is also captured in her upcoming book, My Pursuit of Peace. Cassie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Super. So um, this is your first time in Australia, isn't it? Yes, it's my first time. You actually live in Bali.
1: Yeah, currently I'm living in Bali.
0: Super. So, um... What's been your you' you've, you've been in Western Australia for a couple of days
1: couple of days just and
0: what's your initial first impression of being here?
1: It reminds me very much of where I grew up um just the suburb of Toronto, mississauga, so it's very cozy and really friendly people and similar landscape so it feels like I'm at home super yeah
0: and um, have you done anything in particular in the couple of days that you've been here?
1: Well, I love animals and nature, so we got out to see some kangaroos and koala bears at the Nature Reserve So, and uh, all this organic, amazing food that you guys have here. So it's been great.
0: Super. Yeah. As um, in the past, what has been your perception of Australia? I know you've only just recently come, but what has been your perception of it as you –
1: for some reason, I didn't expect it to be as friendly and welcoming mm. as it has been. So its right. been, I've been like right from the minute I stopped off the plane to amazing immigration officers to just friendly faces and everywhere I go, it's just been so hospitable, warm and welcoming. So, you know, I mean, it's not that I ever had a negative impression, but it's just surpasses, I guess, what I expect it to be normal. Um, Yeah. So it's a beautiful, welcoming surprise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And obviously you picked the right part of Australia to come to here in Western (laughs) Australia.
2: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: So there we go. So um, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about your early corporate career? Because that's a key part of your life and part of the the journey.
1: Yeah. um, So... I graduated from York University and was trying to figure out where to go. And Saren, um, dipity happened. Um, my mother was diagnosed with cancer when I was in school studying. Well, it coincidentally happened that her nurse and the hiring director at a company called Mattel were best friends.
0: <laughs> yes. The big toy company.
1: Yes. So unbeknownst to each of them, both of them, the HR director and um, my mom's head nurse, wanted to get me hired, but they didn't know they were both speaking about the same girl. Right. So at that time, I had just graduated and I was doing an internship at Accenture. Yes. Um. So I went on holiday after my internship, came back and started working in product uh, brand marketing, product brand marketing, I'm responsible for a portfolio of brands for the Canadian market. And did quite well, started uh, ch- doing things uh, a bit differently, I guess. I was kind of naive and green, so didn't know any better. <laughs> in hindsight, I, I, I was yeah. to- told I worked. Re- I mean, I also really worked hard because I, ha- I was new to product. Um That led to a couple of promotions. And then eventually I was promoted to senior manager of the Fisher Price brand in, in covering Europe, Um and that's when uh, a year, a bit a year and a half ish into it, the global crisis, the two thousand eight financial crisis happened. Right. And in that, I was either offered a transition back to Canada to work for the same company or a package. Right. And what no one knew at the company was, you know, I was still struggling from my mom, who had by that time died, gone through a divorce after being cheated on for seven years, right. <laughs> and I was covering up my depression with workaholism. Right, And I enjoyed what I did. So it wasn't that I was... going to say,
0: did you enjoy what you did?
1: I absolutely loved it. What was
0: it that you enjoyed about it?
1: Because I felt like if I'm going to sell things to people, which I always had a challenging difficulty around, I'm in brand marketing, I create desire for product. And there was another part of me that was always in conflict with it. Mm. But I loved what I did was because I felt it was bringing joy to children.
2: Right.
1: I was creating cool, fun things that made children happy. So, and a lot of them had educational qualities and and um developmental um you know whether it's spatial intelligence or mm. tact tactile. So for me, I felt really good about that
0: and you, and you had quite a rise, like you said.
1: I started out as assistant brand manager, so from interning at Accenture, yeah, um I went right into being a, a assistant brand manager for Canada for about ten brands, and from then, I became a brand manager for the same portfolio. Then it was senior brand managers um, overseeing all of Europe for under a, well, Fisher Price preschool. And then from there, I took a year off, just over a year, uh, to cope with my depression. Right. And so that rise all happened in under four years.
0: I was going to say, that's quite,
1: that's quite Rapid.
0: quick. So, how old were you at this point?
1: Um, oh, gosh, 27. Right. It was three years that rise happened, three and a half years.
0: And, and were, those, were those rises and promotions, without something you were gunning for? Yes. It came, you, super you were very, ambitious. Super focused super, on the corporate ladder.
1: Super focused because I had accidentally stumbled onto something I loved. Yes. So I thought, if I can't do this, what else am I going to do? Yes. And the blessing for me is, um, blessing in disguise, I should say, is I really struggled in my first three months. And I had a manager who really pushed me hard. And she was also my hiring manager.
2: Hmm.
1: And I, I'm pretty sure she would have fired me if, if she didn't see potential. And she kept telling me, I know you're capable of great things, so I'm going to keep pushing you.
0: What was it you think she saw in you?
1: I have no idea. I'll have to ask her one day. <laughs> um, have a guess. Um, I'm resourceful. Right. And so she would – and I intuitively just knew things because at that time, what hadn't um that I hadn't connected the dot backwards at that time was that I had a mul I had worked in so many different things because I had always had multiple jobs on top of full-time school. Yes. That all these different part-time jobs while in school was creating the perfect baseline to be a brand marketing product person. So I did things like working on a factory when I was 16, to packing boxes, to being in marketing at Costco as a cashier and working as an extra and model on TV shoots. So I'm standing there watching how they create commercials. And so all, and my parents owned a small business. I ran like payroll and merchandising. And so, and I knew what worked, what didn't from pricing strategy. So. At that time, I never looked at any of those as experience for a product job. Right. But when you're working in on a global on a a national level on huge brands, what I realized is, on top of the education, these hands-on being on the ground and understanding, you know, what I would have wanted as a customer,
0: what what price points
1: mattered, all these things that you study, but. I had hands-on experience.
0: Right. From the coalface, says it.
1: Exactly. Yes. So just being like a rookie on the ground, literally, mm. understanding that um, helped me even at editing commercials and shoots. Um, I remember like when I was working in Toronto on extra sets for movies or commercials, I just spent hours just watching the directors and producers. And then when I had to work on my own commercials, it just all came together. Yeah. So... Um, there is no such thing as a coincidence. And
0: as you now find out, as I
1: now find out, and, and it's truly looking back, the, the bigger picture makes sense because mm. at that time, the 26, 27 year old me that landed that job had no idea that all of these unique, random, different experiences was going to come together in a product job. Mm. You know, and even the fact that there were so many synchronicities and, where I went to do my brand training with Accenture and then ending up in product and how all that came together. So,
0: so you get to this point four years on mm-hmm. and you get the opportunity, you're given two choices. Mm-hmm. And, and you tell me that the, the depression started to come to the fore.
2: Well,
1: I was um, already seeing uh, in Holland because the uh, European head office was just outside Amsterdam.
2: Mm.
1: So I was living in Amsterdam and it was full on to a point where I had to go see, um, there in order to get time off, you have to go see a company doctor. So you have your own medical doctor, Yes. but to go on reduced work or, because it was, it was so, um, excruciating and painful in the last couple of months that.
0: What was excruciating and painful?
1: Um, you know, everything was hitting me. I had, my mom had died four years earlier. And I buried myself into work and I was really close with my mom. We had a beautiful relationship
0: as a coping mechanism to not face the,
1: not deal with going. the pain.
0: Mm.
1: On top of that, um, a nine year relationship ended and I ended it, but only to find out that he had been cheating on me for seven of those nine years. So I never processed it. I just walked away from it and you know, I kind of put him through school, took care of him. And so it was, it was a lot to process. And on top, and the third one is I just moved countries, never really lived on my own. I come from a South Asian background where family is all yeah, over Alex, you. <laughs> all family is full on. And I definitely came from a uh, more um, modern, but r- very rooted in our tradition, um, South Asian family. Hmm. So for me, that was like, I'm living in Amsterdam. I knew no one there when I took the job. Arrived there with two suitcases and a job offer. So I think all of it, like adjusting to a new city, learning a whole geographic region. I'm not just responsible for the country. Yes. I literally was on a plane every two weeks in another market. And it wasn't as glamorous as whatever that might sound. It was going to work every day, going to sleep getting back up, getting on a plane. Yeah,
0: not going <laughs> home to creature carpets.
1: No, and you might have the one or two nights maybe for a nice dinner with colleagues and potentially have – check out one site, but that was it. There was no other perk to that travel. It was literally yeah. but working all the time. So, you know, a year of that on top of all the personal challenges, which I had a very strict policy. It's like leave your – Baggage is what I called it back then. Baggage at the door perform. Yeah. I was very demanding on myself. Um, and I had very clear boundaries of what was work and what was personal. Yes. So for me, it work
0: was this big, like really big.
1: Yeah. No, I had not, no life. <laughs> I, had, I had very little of a personal life. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know anyone there. I had no friends. So it was really easy to do that. Yeah. Um, so. And I enjoyed it. I was motivated by the opportunity to expand. When Mattel sent me to mm-hmm. Europe with the promotion, it was always intended as two to three years. Mm-hmm. And then I would be transferred again back to Canada or back to, or to the US office to work on the global team.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So knowing that, as ambitious as I, as I was, I want. I was soaking it up. I was trying to literally learn as much as I can mm. about every single country in Europe that we operated in.
0: Um, what, was the, what was the scale of the budget, the business that you're responsible for, just to put some context around uh, it?
1: I won't go into specific numbers, but over a hundred thousand, um, hundred million, sorry, over a hundred million US dollars right. at, at that time.
0: So this, so the depression is now. Um, setting and it, and it's hitting you to use your words yeah, and what does the what does the hitting actually look feel sound like to you and what were the stories you were telling yourself at the time and what were the things that were rattling around your head
1: what it felt like was the inability to concentrate and focus i could barely read emails on some days because my mind was just absolute clutter um not not because i couldn't see the words and read it I just felt like I had to read everything 10 times to comprehend because I was just um, drained. I could barely get out of bed and function. Um, That's when I took myself to see a company doctor because I'm like, something is not right. And it's never been this bad.
0: Did you think it was physical rather than mental or emotional? Or
1: no, I, I was, I had been dealing with depression since I was 16, like diagnosed hmm. since I was 16. I knew exactly what this was. Right. And I, but what I thought at that time was I had a down pat of how to cope
0: with it. Right.
1: Cause I had done pretty well in my corporate days Mm. uh, leading up to then. So I'm like, but you know,
0: I know the trappings are suggesting that you're successful.
1: Exactly. I mean, I was, I also worked long hours. Mm. So my average day throughout my entire corporate rise was probably 13 hours, 14 hours. So, so even though I rose quickly, Um, Within four years, I was uh, that senior brand manager for Europe. I probably worked the equivalent of eight years. Yes. So in hours worked, it wasn't so rapid.
0: Yes. (laughs) But
1: a number of days, yes. Right. Um, And
0: So you go and see the doctor.
1: And the company doctor basically says, I think you should stop working. But given that you have no family and not many friends and you're living here alone, I recommend you just work at about... 70% capacity and sleep literally recommended that I, I rest because I guess that now in hindsight, I can say my nervous system just needed to calm down mm. and Fraud. yeah, it was, and I, I probably bit a burnout too, not just depression mm. um, because I'd never taken a real break. And the burnout is not from just from the work. Imagine like a divorce, finding out your partner that you supported, put him through school, was cheating on you. Um, and then, you know, I also had put myself through university. I had a six-figure student loan debt, which I paid off in those four years, too. So I was debt-free um, and husband-free after this. <laughs> so super happy. But I had um, – there was a lot of things that looked amazing on the outside. But it had come at a huge price. Yes. On top and including the promotions, which looked great from the outside, but mm. inside it was definitely. Did they paying... make you feel good when they came? Yeah, it felt great. Like it, it was validation that what I was doing mattered, and that I was being recognized for it. That um, people saw me. Yeah, and I was good at something, and that felt great.
2: Mm. Yeah,
1: because like I said, when everything else is falling apart, you want something to hold on to. So that's what made it feel even greater.
0: So where did you so did you take the sleep remedy?
1: I did, which created some corporate politics. That's the ugly side of the corporate world. Because medical issues are not revealed, um, at that time we had a team secretary. She just started a rumor that I just like to sleep in. And showed up to work late, brilliant, yeah, it didn't help the depression, <laughs> so h r and my boss knew what was going on and but they can't tell people either, Cassie's struggling with an illness, so it made it really unpleasant um because i i I was literally told you need to relax your nervous system and just take it easy in the mornings, but so it, it you know, but this is what comes with it and It wasn't the most pleasant experience of having to deal with depression because it was the first time I had gone to human resources Mm. and said, there's something going on. Never before had I ever disclosed anything.
0: (laughs) In the work environment. In in the work environment.
1: Like I said, it was really getting out of hand. Yes. So that's when I was offered the package or a transfer I happily took the package, the redundancy, package. the redundancy package, because what that meant, and I would see my friends and other colleagues getting in Canada, we get one year off from maternity leave. And I would be like, I can't even take that. I just left my husband, so yeah. <laughs> there's no chance of me getting a one-year maternity leave right now to deal with any of this. So, a part of me was actually envious of women who took a year off. Yeah. I mean, of course, they had to be mothers, and that's a whole, that's a full-time yeah. job on its own. Not not trying to minimize the, what that is, um, but it was it was just a I think a longing just for time off. And time off was not the same as taking a two-month sabbatical or a long vacation, because what? And I did a couple of weeks here and there. What that was is mountains of work when I came back, and at the levels I was operating, I was at least checking emails every other day, if yeah. not every day.
0: So uh, you never switch off?
1: No, um, I think the most I ever took a vacation was not checking emails for two days, right? <laughs> and then I would work at least for two hours every day on holiday. Early morning or late at you night. You should have gone
0: back to Sri Lanka. You can't <laughs> catch any emails. Now.
1: Well, in Sri Lanka, <laughs> <laughs> well, now they do. Because they've got really good internet there. Mm-hmm. Last year. <laughs> oh, <Anyway. laughs> okay. Um, and Sri Lanka, they treat me like a tourist. And I, it's yeah. it's not comfortable being mm. there for me.
0: So where'd you go with the package?
1: I stayed in Amsterdam. I had an absolutely amazing home. I loved it. And I didn't really want to change anything. So I lived in Amsterdam and then traveled, um, practiced meditation. I also partied. <laughs> Um, I say that because I think that's important for people to realize because I came in at a very young age with a lot of responsibility, graduated, worked, went right into corporate um, and was always in a relationship. I was never really single throughout my entire 20s and free. Mm. So when I finally had this year off and living in Europe and I had enough money at that time, I'm like, what would I do? So the (laughs) 21-year-old Cassie came Came out. out which in looking back, it was only for two, three months, but it was absolutely necessary
2: mm.
1: because I think all of us, um, Erickson calls this the state, like the levels of crises we need to go through. So if we don't have this rounded full experiences, sometimes we don't graduate to the next level of our maturity, growth, development, all of these things. And so there's a reason why you should go out and have fun when you're in your early twenties and, and get it out of your system. Because if not, that becomes something that you yearn for and especially me. So I took it as I made lots of friends. I had a great time in Amsterdam and, but I really got sick of it super fast. Yes. And I realized, okay, that box is checked. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So I think two, three months it was enough. And I started traveling throughout Europe that is where um a lot of things started to line up and I had a lot of questions and I loved, and for the first time I was traveling as a tourist just for my own pleasure because up to then pretty much all of my work um, even vacations I was working mm. Um so for the first time it felt great to have no responsibility and just be out there, experience Europe and eat amazing food, sleep in. And, and um, I learned a lot of things. I went to Bordeaux and studied wine and I went to Venice and France and yeah, it was amazing. So, um, yeah, it was, and then I came back and, uh, looked for another job and started working for another American company based out of Holland. Um, and shortly into that, uh, what I now call the whisper of my soul my soul kept telling me um, at that time it was just an intuitive feeling that someone's going to contact you and offer you the the job of your dreams I had no idea where it was coming from and then I got a phone call and at this time I was working in Racine in, um, in the US uh, part of uh, Wisconsin so it was two weeks in Racine a couple weeks in Holland and I went back and forth and I was, again, on a global um, innovation job. And I and so they had called my local um Holland office, couldn't get a hold of me, somehow got transferred to the U.S. office in Racine, and it was a headhunter for Lego, another toy company.
2: Hmm.
1: And after three times, they finally got through to me, and they were basically saying, you know, there's this job that we think you're going to be great at, can you consider, um, can, would you consider the job? He said, I'm actually quite happy uh, with the current job and I have no interest in working for Lego. That was my first response because at that time they were very much a boy's company. Um, and I was really interested in shaping girls toys mm. um, and female empowerment. And this is where my passion lied. And that's where most of my time at Mattel had been. So, I wasn't thinking at that time, they're going to go into girls in a big way. That's why they're coming to me. I wasn't thinking that far out. They said, um, and then the recruiter said, no, I think you're pretty much perfect for the job. We just need to get you through the process. So a, a couple of weeks in, yes, we had my screening interview, whatever, and they flew me to Bill Denmark. And uh, within uh, two or three weeks, I had the job, which they had hunted me for. So that's where things started to get more interesting. Meaning? Meaning. Um, When I started to trust my intuition, um, now I was a bit more relaxed. And I had just been offered um, the job of my dreams. But just as the contract, on the day that I signed the contract and agreed to move to Denmark for the next assignment, I met an amazing person on the exact same night. And so it got interesting because now um, within two months, our relationship became more than just a casual getting to know each other, dating it. He's my boyfriend. So now I had a boyfriend in Amsterdam and a job in Denmark that I absolutely wanted to take and loved. So it put me into a long distance relationship. Um, and what was interesting was after, once I signed the NDA, the non-disclosure agreement, it was shown, revealed to me that my, um, experience at Metal Girls is exactly what they were going for.
2: Right.
1: And it was um, to develop what is now known as Lego Friends, which at that time um, was a high priority but very politically complex project to take on. And I was naive about the whole thing. Yeah. because um, I, I wasn't clearly described to me what I was stepping into. Yes. <laughs> um so there was a massive cleanup required. Or uh when I say cleanup, I don't mean that in any negative way. There were lots of people that did amazing work. But you know, senior management knew some a lot of things were not um lining up yet. And this was their eighth and final time they were gonna attempt to launch um a brand, a subbrand that would appeal to larger number of girls globally, and so this is why I was recruited to come, sort of shake it up and look at what could be done differently. And there, there was a lot that needed to be different, done differently. Yeah. So it was a massive turnaround within eight months, and it going from a two country regional launch to a global launch, with massive budget. So that came with its own intensity. And as you may be able to imagine when you're working in a company such as Lego and the stakes are high and you're on an a priority project, which some people in the company absolutely support and adored. Some people are just waiting for it to like fall Fall. apart, like all the other seven times. Again, no disrespect to them. It happened seven times before it failed. Hmm. So people are like, why are we wasting energy on this project again? And, And then there was the other part was a lot of disbelief in my direction. Um, I, everything I would recommend was questioned, whether internally or by external agencies. So everything had to be researched, validated when, and it just wasted time because there was things I just knew. Yeah. And so it, it took, I mean, it was the added layer of stress when you're Mm. like battling corporate politics and, and you've been in the corporate world you you know a little bit about what that is. Yeah. You may know a little bit what that l- might feel like. And being the rookie, being the only dark skinned person <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> leading a team, um, of that capacity, um, in product, there were other, there were you know various ethnicities throughout the company, but on the global team for product development at that time, not saying that's what it is now. Yes, at that time, I was the only one, so it was it was um it was a bit of xenophobia by some people and. Uh, I had to mm. be on the receiving end of all of that. Um,
0: Did any of the, de- the the depression type thoughts and behaviours start to come back at this point?
1: It it actually created it. So when you're alone again in a different country, and again you don't have any friends, <laughs> and but at this at least at this time I had this amazing loving uh, boyfriend. Um, Uh, But I was working really hard, and I was really questioning, why am I working this hard? And at this point, I was definitely working about 15 hours a day, um, wearing multiple hats. And um, I started questioning, why do I still feel sad? Um, Why am I dealing with all of this politics? Why am I still here? Because some of the resistance was pretty intense, where I questioned, why haven't I quit yet? Yes. (laughs) because clearly, like, I thought we were all working towards something really amazing, which is developing a toy that was a shift from what was mainstream at that time, which yes. is prefabricated plastic, um, and with a lot of low substance for girls. And what we were hoping for, not that, um, this brand that I worked on is the answer, definitely not, is not, and it's not something that I think is a model right now at, at this, the way it's being executed now at all anyways. But at that time, it was supposed to be a step, uh, to getting something not so superficial, um, developing spatial intelligence, creativity. So a bit more empowering, um, and developing girls. So that felt great. And the opportunity to do that when historically it had never been done successfully in the toy industry was an amazing challenge that I was really excited about. Mm. So even though the feelings of depression was coming back and the internal political battle was intense um that was the fire that kept me going we're doing something different
2: mm.
1: i will do what i need to, to i am here to make a difference and at least if i if it fails it won't be because i didn't put my best foot forward because I, it felt like at that time, it was a responsibility, not just for me, but for like millions of little girls yes. who, who may not get a chance to play um, with Lego in a way that was appealing to them. Yes. So for me, it was... It's a huge a,
0: responsibility when you put it like that.
1: Yeah, because I mean, mm. yeah, so it, this is where my motivation was coming from and the reason I didn't quit when it got really political. Um, so what was interesting was at the peak of the political nightmare that i was facing internally and some backstabbing and i mean one of my project managers when i and i mentioned i'm faced some xenophobia and a little bit of racism um she actually told my team member when i took a couple of weeks off to go on vacation that i went to go see my birth parents assuming that i was adopted and that's why i'm so well groomed and can do the job that i must have had white parents Space, this <laughs> i was floored and shocked when one of my designers said hey how's your how was your birth mom it must have been so exciting to be, meet your birth parents i'm like what are you talking about my birth parents are in canada <laughs> and
2: yeah
1: <laughs> and so and it was um and that's that was my like i always kind of knew what was going on but that was the first time i was like wow i wasn't imagining this this is really happening <laughs> So it was a bit of a, you know, not the greatest feeling. Yeah. Um, So this was in hindsight, all necessary for what was coming next. And what was that? Well, all of this made the depression worse, feeling like you're not completely welcomed. And when you're working really hard and dealing with all of this can make anyone's depression worse. Yes. Yes. Right? No matter how much you love the job and what an amazing project you're working on. And there were some amazing people too. I'm not gonna say everyone there, there were some fantastic people that really supported me and really pushed for me. So I would say it was definitely sort of sixty percent awesome, forty percent not. Yeah. So with that to put that in perspective. Um so on the cusp of all this, and I was really being challenged with who I was directly reporting to, who was, who, who was brand new to that job. She had just accepted that was, so wasn't my hiring manager. Um, so we were really battling, um, personality. We didn't get along and she was really making it challenging for me to be there. Um, so in the midst of all that, I started speaking to what I now call my higher self. Mm -hmm. At that time, it didn't feel like that. It was just self-talk. It's like, what is going on? And this is the first time I experienced sort of surrender. So I walked into the office on a day that I decided to take a long weekend to just six in the morning, I think it was, started working. And before I started working, I was already a meditator at that time. Meditated in the office, which I usually never did. It was always at home or, you know. So, but, but this time, since I was in the office at six in the morning, I just sat in the office, meditated, because I had a lot to get done that day before my long weekend. Um, and I asked, I spoke to myself, whatever it is that's causing me to feel depressed, I just want it done. I want it gone. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Um, took a flight. By the time the flight landed, um, what came back was the memory of my childhood abuse. So around five and a half, I was sexually raped and abused. And this explained why it was so important for me to work on toys that brought joy. And I don't know if um, just a while back when we started this, that I really only wanted to work on girls' toys. Yes. What this memory coming back taught me was it was the way, you know, helping girls, little girls feel happy play empowering them developing their spatial intelligence creativity deep down it was that little girl in me that was abused that didn't have any of those experiences right and because
0: and this memory
1: literally that same day it was i believe a thursday no friday it was a friday because it was fridays and half days usually when we work there and um Half days usually meant three o'clock for me. But on that Friday, I was still going to work only till 12 like everyone else. Um, for me, it was at the cusp of my feeling that the worst of the depression again and understanding why am I still working here? Why, why don't I just quit? And I was asking, why do I care so much about this project?
0: And then the answer was given to you.
1: And that's when the memory came back. It was because I was trying to save myself um, through play, through giving girls the kind of empowering toy experience, play experience that I was deprived of because I was abused.
0: And you had no memory of this? Absolutely none. It was none. never talked about?
1: My parents were unaware because they had just moved to Botswana. And the only reason we were left under um, family members' care was this was Botswana in in the early, early 80s. There was only one private school. Mm-hmm. And the reason private school was important because the local schools didn't teach English. Yes. And so we had to only so go left packing. So, and then we went to good school in Sri Lanka and was all, I was in kindergarten. So they thought, okay, it's just a couple of months or up to a year and we'd get them on a waiting list for regular school. Yes. Um, and that was the plan just to get us into a school in Botswana and then they'd come pick us up. But it was during that time, a grand uncle, um, abuse, sexually abused um, me along with my older sister. And it was um, not, I mean, obviously there was a lot to it. Um, and it wasn't just him, it was multiple people. So, and I had no memory of it at all. And the entire memory flashed. I saw it, tasted, experienced. It was just, and I started vomiting. And I, I mean, I love traveling. I've been on a plane so much. Yeah. And for the first time, I was vomiting on a plane. And I mean, I was physically having reactions. Um, and the interesting part is I was going to meet my boyfriend and um, I told him what had just happened. And he was in shock and we're trying to deal with it. And I said, you know what? At least I have my job. I'm going to go back. Perfect time to have had a long weekend. You know, the divine is always creating these beautiful (laughs) spaces for synchronistic um, time off. And it was a a three-day weekend. So I went back with the intention of, okay, let me get over the political crap. (laughs) That's what it was, not to sugarcoat it, that I'm dealing with. And let me just focus on the work because I clearly now know why I'm feeling depressed. Mm. And I will do what I always do, which is what I'm good at. I'm good at work. And and I have a supportive partner who is going to be there for me mm-hmm. through it as I then seek other ways to support me through what I've now remembered. Except when I went back um to work a day later, my manager uh, called me into a meeting just before I was about to go on camera for National Geographic. They were in, in there to do an interview because we were about four weeks out from launch. All the work had been done. And also on year two, the work had been done and made my job redundant. Lovely. Perfect, I thought.
0: But it, but it is.
1: It was perfect. <laughs> it didn't feel that way at that time. And the reason I share this is in the past, I've sort of been shy about talking about this, but the way- what,
0: Shy about what in particular? Because,
1: because a lot of times people are ashamed to talk about redundancy or yeah. political mess or or how you've been hurt. And to me, this is what makes me real. Mm. That it was painful. Mm. I did pour my heart into this and work. The trauma is gone. I don't feel the pain and the hurt of it. But the story is still relevant because what I see is millions of people that are in similar situations and we mask our pain. Mm. And whether it's, for me, it's abuse. Someone else, it's their parent's cancer or their child or someone else being sick. Financial hardship. It could be a million different reasons. But we use... These things, and then, and then the last hope of whatever you're holding on to drops and what that does to us. And that story is important for all of us because I think that's a thread that connects us as humanity.
0: And that's when you, everything's been pulled away and you drop into the abyss.
1: Yeah, I was, I became suicidal. If not for my loving partner at that time who held my hand.
0: Was that within days or weeks or months after Days, afterwards? Days. Yeah. Because and, and then,
1: everything, like, I literally, and I was living on my own in Denmark with no family, um, very few friends, and he was in Amsterdam and he had his day job. <laughs> mm. So I was.
0: And was was it, you were made redundant, that's it, you're going to die? Or no,
1: no, it- no. I went home and it was just the craziness of everything that was going on. And then the couple of days, two, three days, I was fine. But then within a week it hit.
0: Mm. And what did that look and feel like?
1: I couldn't move. I was in a dark room. I had taken on, I mean, I think within two weeks I had moved back to Amsterdam. I still had my apartment in Denmark, but mm. I thought, what's the point? Um, I went back to Amsterdam and my boyfriend ask me to move in with him. Um, so moved in, but I wouldn't get out of bed. He would leave to work, come back, find me in bed, like crying and in shambles and not even able to brush my teeth because everything that was part of your identity is now gone. And on top of this, you have this memory, a visual memory yeah. of the abuse.
0: And it's to, to separate those two things out, it's incredible, I find, how careers, work, uh, and things like that become people's identity.
1: Here's another take on I that. I am
0: so-and-so the lawyer. Exactly. I am so-and-so the accountant. Sorry.
1: On that, to me, what's been fascinating is because abuse was in my field. Because of the sexual abuse when I was five and a half, I had a partner that didn't physically abuse me, but was emotional, cheated on me in emotional abuse. And now I have a company that has abused me from a place of using me for everything that I can give them. Mm. And then kicking me out to an... So
0: consciously, you're just recreating, recreating, recreating. So,
1: so coming from a victim consciousness, I could say, yes, I was abused by this company. Hmm. But coming from a place of empowerment, which is where I come from now, I'm owning the fact that this frequency of abuse was running through and all it did was attract my abusers. Hmm. And I never ever looked at corporate abuse as abuse, but it is and they, they're not willingly doing anything and you're not willingly allowing it but we get sucked into a system of status accomplishment results feeling important coming back to what you're saying mm. um and all of these validations of our identity and sometimes that part of our identity that we are unaware of is for me it was abuse mm. and i attracted abusers
0: you <laughs> were Cassie the abused
1: yeah until i became aware of it. It took several years for me to become aware of that pattern. And so now I actually call it corporate abuse. And I attracted an abuser. And I mean, who else lets someone work 15, 18 hours a day and walks them out? And so I thought this was abuse and I allowed it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I signed up for it. No one forced me to do it. But this is this is how I created it. And we we wrap it into beautiful things like... I'm going to make a difference in my industry. <laughs> Who cares? I'm going to, I mean, all these things that mean nothing. Mm. If you're facing your death, which is what I was facing, my depression, as great as I did for having shifted the girls toy industry. By the way, Lego friends, a huge global phenomenon.
0: Yes. And one daughter all- has some in the next door.
1: Room. Oh, great. That's very nice <laughs> to know. Um, and it won all kinds of awards and so it was beautiful to see that but what it did for children's toys mm. and i'm still proud of that and happy about it and i don't have any hard feelings towards them as a company either i just what happened to me was what happened that's it it's a story that i that i'm sharing because it's a story that i think that bridges so many people that are in multiple different jobs but as i've shared this with other people they're like wow You know, that feels like my situation, and it makes people aware, like, oh, am I in that situation? Am I allowing a form of abuse, which Mm. I've relabeled as something else?
0: And it's very easy for it to happen, and it's very easy for others to pull the strings on it because, you know, mortgages and looking after friends or family and and your whole livelihood is is at stake.
1: Right, and 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 also, yeah. yeah, but it's also because of the way we've structured our lives. And what we think is important when we're in that framework. Yes. So when in that framework of where in my corporate life, you know, the kind of car I drove, the kind of vacations you take, what you wear, you, you, who you're responsible for financially. For me, I didn't have me. I was single. I mean, a boyfriend, but we yeah, yeah. had paid our own way. But so it was, even though I didn't have the obligation to take care of and that someone else, I can understand that because, mm. you know, I have family with, who have kids, and they're in. And so I could see that now imagine adding kids or other people that you're taking care of financially and the trappings of that. Mm-hmm. And even if you had none of those obligations, just people get validated and they think that's the only way to be useful. Mm. That if they're not working, what does society say? Yeah. Like it, it's like a stint- And you, I think you
0: picked up on it earlier on that, you know, there's. There's a stigma in being made redundant in and of itself.
1: Exactly. Or that if you're not working, what's wrong with you? Are you not good? Are you uh, lazy? You're lazy. You're not
0: contributing to society.
1: Exactly. All of these things. So for me, it took probably a good three years out of the system to fully, um, I already was aware of it on on, on a conscious level, but to fully embody this and really see the truth in this, and then when I started really sharing it with no shame, with absolutely owning every aspect of it, the empowering feeling it gave to other people, that made me excited. I'm like, wow, me being vulnerable, authentic, with no shame, no guilt, no need to apologize for any of it, is actually helping open doors for people um, to own uh, their own um, adversities. Um, by you speaking out, it's almost like you're opening the door and giving permission to everyone to say, hey, it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. Just like depression. And the reason I've never breaking shared. The silence. Yeah. And the reason I never shared depression internally in, in my corporate life with anyone is because it's so stigmatized, you won't get promoted. Hmm. And I was ambitious. I was yeah. uh, result oriented. You don't share anyway. You don't sh- Yeah. And that's the very masculine way of getting moving up that was promoted and validated at that time. I mean, I'm glad to see little bits of change coming nowadays.
0: Do you think also not showing any weakness or moving on and or covering over was part of what happened when you were five, six, seven years old?
1: Yeah, because I think I was threatened with death if I showed it. And now I think I know and based on what I remember and now remember, I was threatened that my sister would be killed and my family would be hurt. So I was told to shut up and never talk about it. And I think, um, I, I went through some extreme trauma that blocked the pain. Mm. But as the memory came back, I specifically, I was drowned, um, threatened with a snake. I was beaten and this abuser was really horrific. So mm. it wasn't just rape. It was a lot of physical trauma that went with it
0: to a five year old,
1: to a five year old to control and, um, to control me and that making sure I don't speak. And as you can imagine, if a five year old, you're going through that kind of horrendous acts. No wonder the memory just yeah. checked out.
0: You want to get rid of that, do
1: Yeah, and Yeah. And the timing of it when it came back was, it's like, this is as far as you're going to go. Yeah. You've created joy for children now that in a child in you needs to heal. Yes. Now it's no longer because, yeah, you've done it. It's Lego is, is going to be a huge success. In, my soul knew that already. Mm. It's time to go. Yeah, But the ego was so attached at that time to this is my project, I worked on it, Yes. all those trappings of the ego, that if it not, had not been for the redundancy, I probably wouldn't have gone, probably wouldn't have quit, even though I probably would have battled the desire to quit. Um, but we
0: were made redundant.
1: And thank Absolutely. goodness for that. It was the greatest blessing that I've ever received. Because if not that, I wouldn't have become – so depressed where I wanted to end my life, which then set my comp- life on a completely different trajectory. Not immediately, because first I, f- I took a few months off to... Um, oh, you were in bed. I was in bed. I couldn't <laughs> function. And then I finally said, okay, I want to travel. And I still had the company car and traveled and drove it all over Europe and um, just enjoyed life. I tried to, to um, deal with the pain. And took, uh, and studied Vipassana and became a Vipassana meditator, went back to the gym. Cause I also was, I stopped working out when I'm, when you're working 15, 18 hours a day, there's no space space to work out. So I went back to the gym, started running again. Um, so all of these things I was sort of realigning, saw a therapist to try to, to deal with the memory that had come back. Um, and at that time I was still super depressed even after doing all that. That I thought I just missed home, so I told my partner just after he proposed to me, he asked me to marry him, and this man's amazing because during all of this he wanted to marry me.
2: <laughs> so, yeah.
1: so um, what? Well, his reason was, well, you know, if you're this nice when you're depressed, I can't wait to meet you when you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, I thought, well, if I go back home, home being Toronto, that I, I, things are going to get better. So I went back to Toronto just to look for a job and this amazing Canadian toy company offered me a job on the spot after meeting me and as a global director. So I started working for them and, um, at that's when it really, I realized the depression was far from going. Yes. And I was dealing with so much that, I think I was on the brink of breaking down and crying on many days because there was always the company had just gone through a major restructuring internal politics and I was coming on as a global brand director at the time of massive change in the and I was my I was based in the US in California um so a Canadian in the LA office politics Again, it's the no, same
0: space though, isn't it?
1: It's the same space. But what it was was now I really had clarity because now I really had a strong meditative practice. I was in shape now and I was doing a lot of things well. But I could tell like doing all of this. And if I still can't cope, I need to quit. That was my breaking point, yeah. not because of the company, because I really adore this company. They're fantastic.
0: Mm. And they actually, this is just no longer for you. Anymore. This
1: is no longer for me. And it got to a point where I just went to the CEO. I had a direct, direct report to the CEO. So I went to him and said, you know, I can't do this anymore. I'm quitting. And and I was afraid of telling him the truth, the truth being I'm clinically depressed on the brink of a breakdown, mm-hmm. and I can barely have a status meeting with you without crying. That was the truth. Did you talk? Tell- no i I told him I'm going to go start my own company right. and and I just need to quit and go i'm going to go do something else, yes, because the truth felt awful,
2: mm. and
1: at that time i I wasn't vulnerable enough and i was i needed healing I needed to deal with myself and and speak saying that truth
0: so tell me about the healing path then.
1: oh that was interesting so first, I became really depressed
0: I mean, as you said
1: so no, it got worse.
0: Oh, right. So, um,
1: so after quitting the job and not having a job and nowhere to go to. And this time on my own terms, I wasn't made redundant or anything like that. It yeah, was offered a package. Yeah, offered a package. There was no safety net. <laughs> so, um, I was, you know, tr- I, again, for a couple of months, I didn't do much because I was again at the breaking point where all the memories were getting uh, intense. Um, there was a lot of other things going on in my life as well, a lot of realizations. Um, understanding what true love is for the first time in my life and a lot of complexity around.
0: How did your fiancé come to Canada?
1: Well, he relocated. His company offered him a job to start the Canadian office. And um, he took the transfer and came over for me. And so it was challenging for him because he was a one-man office at that time. Yes. And so he came over to start the Canadian office. He was – yeah, he's a lawyer – um, and interesting times. And we didn't actually, and we were engaged, but then we had to get married because just to speed up immigration, which I think was bad legal advice from my lawyer at that time, uh, because we really didn't need to. Uh, the mm. legal process would have been the same whether we were legally married or not. Yes. Um, because we'd been together for a couple of years at that time. So, um, so I got legally married. <laughs> Um, on paper so there was no wedding. Um, so there was that. Um, and then, you know, it took him a couple of months to move over as I worked in Toronto and LA going back and forth every couple of weeks. So that was his transition and he fully supported me resigning because he could see, he's like, I don't want to see you as bad as it was six yeah. months earlier. So if you need to resign, um, do it. Do it. And that w- that was, and he said, well, you're so good at what you do that you could do it for yourself, of course. And even with him, I said, you know, I'll probably find a new job or do something on my own. We'll figure it out. I mean, so, you know, one of us has a job. So, And I had money of my own saved at that time. So I thought it will be okay. Never did I think that I would never want to go back to the corporate world. And this healing path, this unraveling process, it's now been five and a half years that it would take this. I thought it will be three to six months. I'll either start my own product line or I'll go work for someone else. Mm. Um, so the healing path uh, after it took me into a massive depression, suicidal ideation. And at this point I really wanted to kill myself because I gave up hope. I thought having the right guy. And now I had just quit a global director job, making more money, working for a company that I actually liked and respected. And Um, living in a beautiful neighborhood, having a nice car, nice house. I was close to my family again, which was amazing. So I had nieces and nephews to visit and everything was good. And I realized if this doesn't help with the depression, if I can't transcend this feeling, I don't want to be here. I, I, and I told my ex-husband that, well, he's my now ex-partner for a lot of other reasons. But I said, I, I kind of don't want to be here. And I think it scared the hell out of him. Uh, to a point, he started staying home from work just to supervise me. Right. Um, because this is the f- scariest he had seen me. And I was very rational about it. I sat down like it was my corporate thing. And I'm like, this is what I'm going through. This is everything I've tried. You know, Reiki, therapy, yoga, meditation psychotherapy, the only thing I refused to go on was pharmaceutical medication, and that was going back to when I was 16 and diagnosed. Yeah. And the reason for that is at 16 I didn't know any better. It just didn't feel right. And I thought, well, I'm 16, I'll just figure it out. And I was a classically trained dancer and I was a painter. And I was involved in student government. I was busy. So I thought I'll just be busy. I'll I'll get over it. And as the intensity grew, um, you know, I kept being busy, but I, what I realized is all these other people I started discovering in university, there were so many depressed people all on medication, none of them looked like they were getting any better. Yeah. So they were not poster children for me to be like, oh, yeah, depression meds, I should get on that. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, re- I always refused to go, but I did research, okay, what would give me the same effect of medication? So that was exercise, meditation, um, healing foods, like really eating yep. good quality, clean food, and just friends, family, like people around you that cared about you. So I did all of those things that would create similar um, chemical changes in my system, as as research shows that depression medication does for you.
2: Yes. So
1: I, I just kind of hacked the system of how to cope with my depression without medication.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, But at this point, so I was at a point where like, I can't seem to do this. So what's the point? I, I was 34 at that time. I thought, I don't, I don't want to go through this anymore. I don't want to live this way. Um, I'm, I'm ready to quit. I'm done. And it was a very systematic. I had it mapped out. It was, I'm not going to share what it is because I don't want to give any people ideas <laughs> because it was a pretty clean cut, bulletproof way to end my life. And I'm not sharing it because. I don't know who might be listening to this who's on the brink of it and just no. thanks, Cassie. Brilliant idea.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'll take it. So um it was it was at that point. Um it felt so real. I got my affairs in order, called life insurance, figured out, you know, and I realized, oh yeah, you kill yourself, they don't pay out. <laughs> so but either way I just said, Can I cash it out? Or I literally went through the gamut of ending my life. Mm. And um that's when I was, I really didn't want to. This is the part of me that knew it wasn't a call to end my life. It was the call to end the pain. Yes. And I stayed in my knees on my bed and cried my heart out one day and just prayed. And I didn't realize, I didn't call it prayer because I wasn't really religious. I grew up Catholic, but I wasn't, I had not gone to church in over a decade. No, definitely wasn't religious. Um, but it was a deep, prayer of some sort to a power that I don't understand. And literally the prayer was, help me, help me, help me. And then I heard this voice that now sounds like my own inner voice that said, okay, you got to get up one more time. Don't give up. You're going to be helped. And at that time, I didn't know what that meant, what you're going to be helped means. Just try one more time was the voice I kept hearing. Try one more time. Oh, there's an interesting twist to that that message of try one more time came after I had watched the movie Butler by Daniel Lee. And that me- that might look like a really weird tie-in mm. to all of this, but I was so depressed that after- that early afternoon, and I had talked about suicide with my partner. And he said, okay, let's go out, get some fresh air. We lived by the water in, um, in Toronto. So let's go for a walk by the beach and... Go watch a movie. Come home, and we happen to go see. He goes, "What do you really want to see?" I said, "I, want to, I said I want to see Oprah. I want to um, and I want to see the movie Butler." And uh, and thank goodness for that movie because in that, you know, as you know probably the movie, um, it features the life of this one butler who had been in who had been you know um, gone from slavery to being the butler of a black president who had experienced all of it. And that in the, even though it's such a simple, ordinary job as a butler, yeah. that the transformation and what he witnessed and the, the hardships that humanity has had to go through and how there's the saving grace at the end.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And somehow that movie touched me exactly where it needed to in the moment of crisis that I was feeling inside. And it was sort of like looking at a bigger picture, but it wasn't my life. It was just someone else's story. I, was like, I came home and I thought, if someone can go through all of that, come on, Cassie. Yeah, you've been abused. You've gone through a lot. But so have some other people. And it was a moment where that's when I started praying. I really don't want to live, but I was praying, um, which now I call it prayer. But at that time, it was it just helped me. And it was what gave me the strength to get up the next day. And I got up. And I literally went to the gym like it was my full time job. I went, I went six hours a day between yoga, weight training, running, dance. I, um, I literally lived at the gym six days a week, so about five, six hours every day. Um, and that shifted something. I did that every day for three months. And that's how the, and then I became super clean, even more clean with my diet. And really became, I cut out meat out of my diet. So anything that had heavy hormones that could be affecting my chemical balance. So I started researching this and research is maybe a big word. I would say like reading tons of different articles um, on the internet, personal personal research. Um, And I mean, at at the end of the day, I said, I think everyone needs to do that. We need to all find out what could work for us and what. and then as you open up to this, somehow the right articles, the right journals, the right things find you. And they're right for you, maybe not right for someone else. Yeah. So just don't seek validation. You attract them in. Exactly. But my message to people listening to this, also don't seek for validation from someone else. It's right for you, do it. Yes. It might not be right for someone else. And you don't need anyone to confirm what feels right for you in your heart.
0: This is now diametrically opposite Cassie from the one that was working in the corporate world. Then.
1: Exactly. <laughs> do, the only thing I would say is if suicide feels right for you, don't do that because that's not a voice of love. Yes. The voice of love will never ask you to commit, kill yourself, or hurt anyone else, for that matter. Mm-hmm. So, everything else other than hurting someone else or yourself, um, tune in. Yes. Get get that feels good for you, and and so those those are the low what I now call lower vibrations are not good for you anyway. So, just tune into what feels good for you and do that. And that's where I went, and then I went to um, for a coaching slash healing workshop with um, Tama Keeves who's an American author um, who herself uh, after on a, being a partner track, a Harvard trained lawyer took seven years off and, or sorry, 12 years off and wrote a book about her journey. And I went to this workshop th- and saying, I don't want to be a writer. I-, I just heard that you had this amazing journey and I can't, I'm coming to do the workshop with you because I just quit my car- career. And that's the connection I felt with her. And that's when she, me and her had one-on-one coaching and she said, my darling, You are no longer, not even close to ready to going back to work. You're just starting to unravel and it's going to take time. At that time, we were sitting outside at Karpala in Massachusetts and I broke down crying on the grass. I'm like, I don't know how to help myself. And again, she said, just surrender. And she um, believes, uh, she teaches the Course in Miracles. So she introduced me to the Course in Miracles. And she said, surrender, ask for help. And it'll, it'll, you will be supported. And so I'm grateful to Tamakives who um, really introduced me to the Course in Miracles and and helped me see that I needed more time. But it's at that exact same time, like again, all these beautiful synchronicities. My sister, I was supposed to be planning a vacation with my now legal husband partner to Peru. Because I always wanted to go to Machu Picchu and Mm -hmm. and we both wanted to go to the Galapagos Islands and we said, okay, let's, you know, let's go. And it was supposed to be our holiday, Christmas holiday vacation. And she said, well, if you're going to go to Peru, there's this movie called Sacred Science that you need to watch. And it talks about ayahuasca as a spiritual medicine known to truly transforming people's lives with many illnesses, including depression my first question was okay i'm going to watch it but you've known about this <laughs> and, yeah.
2: and so <laughs>
1: so the next day the the course ended and i drove home and the first thing i did was watch the sacred science movie and immediately the, it spoke to me and i thought wow so I for the next two weeks, again, my corporate training, the research background, Cassie, mm. read everything I could online um, and watched as many documentaries and uh, testimonials on YouTube and also all the horror stories and yep. everything. So fully went in with as much information. I called about six different centers and, sp- yep. and and either called or spoke to different center owners in Iquitos in Peru, which is where um, where I found most of them. And, and then I was two weeks later, I was on a plane in advance of the vacation to Peru. So the vacation was supposed to be December 25th.
0: You've gone in November.
1: I, and this was in October, two weeks weeks later. So by early November, I was in, um, I packed my bags and literally said, I'm not coming back till I'm, I'm fixed. (laughs) Right. So that was seven weeks in the jungle my very first time and it was how I became introduced to the sacred medicine of ayahuasca and along with a few other master plants that you use to diet and ayahuasca being the only uh, one that it takes you into a deep trance and to me that was the greatest gift I've ever received and now I understand why I had to pray so hard because to, um, if I'm very, I, I say this with caution because there are shady shamans out there and if it's shady uh, shady shamans and people who may not practice it with integrity so it's like anything else buy everywhere do your homework listen to your intuition and there's a lot of pre-work like what i unconsciously was doing like exercise meditation eating well having some structure to this because your body is going to go through a lot if you have none of those practices before it may not work for you as well as it could yes so even though i didn't prepare for it that way knowing it was i'm going to go do ayahuasca my body was ready so the medicine took me really deep and i say i i truly call it the ancient traditional medicine sacred medicine mm-hmm. that is there to break through the psychological blocks that's what i see it's like 10 years of psychotherapy in two nights um so I had back, like several back to back ceremonies and it was really well, well executed. Um, high is integrity. Sorry. Is it scary? Absolutely. The first couple of nights were petrifying. Um, and I cried a lot uh, because what, what was petrifying is in now looking back and now I've had over 50 ceremonies. Um, is that you're facing your own fears. All the parts of you that you don't love, the parts mm. of you that are fragmented and you withhold love because I mean, look what I'd gone through.
0: Yeah, you were very fragmented.
1: I was, and there was a lot of fear. And there's I, I now believe there's only two free two energies, two, two things, love and fear. And I was operating on fear. And so all of those and I it also can be called dark energy, um, soul fragmentation. It can be called an um any number of things. It was just, I was in the darkness in fear, and it was really difficult to break through that. And this is the horror stories. A lot of people don't they either practice it in places that don't, don't prepare or their their system is not clean and they're going into it with um other narcotic substances alcohol other addictions that they're not disclosing to the shaman mm. um or it could be any number of other things right that's something and they're just not ready for that so this is why i mean i'm writing a whole chapter on be careful what you're getting into but if you do the work and you do it with integrity and respect it and honor it as this ancient sacred medicine, it will work for you if if that's what you want. I mean, it is work. It's not a drink a cup of tea and the next morning all your problems are gone. You know, no. and it's five years, almost five years in now, and it's integration, it's transformation. What the beauty of that medicine is, it breaks through years of psychological trauma that Actually, I I found it at that point difficult to sit and meditate. I didn't have the motivation to keep working out because if I wasn't going to break through and I was still feeling depressed after everything I was doing, this was my last draw. I went in there not depressed. I was actually going through one of my peaks and valleys. It was a peak where I wasn't feeling depressed And my shaman even said, why are you here? You're not depressed. I said, no, no, no. You're meeting me at a high point. Yes. Because I just spent the last couple of months working out like crazy and cleaning up myself and, you know, no stress. And he goes, oh, okay. I said, there's layers deep down. This has been the reoccurring pattern of my life. I want this gone. And this is where I committed to, just like anything else, it's a discipline. I stayed. I did the work. And it's just not just ayahuasca. It's many other sacred, um, medicinal plants, um, which, you know, that might be used by pharmaceutical companies in small doses or whatever. I don't know what they're putting in some of these, mm. um, antidepressant drugs and other drugs, but, uh, there, so, but there you get the natural form of that and it doesn't taste great and, and it could be really difficult in the system. Um, but it, 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 it after seven weeks there, I felt fantastic. I knew the work wasn't done, but I felt, I felt a sense of freedom that I had never experienced before for the first time in my life. I knew I could understand why everything up until that time hadn't fully worked. This is what I had, what I needed. And to get to this level of breakthrough, under the modern medical system, I first of all, I may not have made it. I made it. I might, I might have killed myself mm. in the process, or I might have been so sick that gone on long term disability, or just not been able to function very well.
0: Just be left in the state of ketosis or something. Like that.
1: Yeah, and if you are lucky enough to have an amazing partner like I did, someone might pay the bills. But who knows if he wouldn't have left me if I'd just gone on like that, right? Mm. So I, I actually have a lot of compassion for people who are struggling with illnesses and who have to go on disability or just not functioning very well, because I think it's, it's a system mm. that's not necessarily healing. It's band-aiding mm. and it's not helping you truly live your most authentic Symptoms, life.
0: Symptoms, not causes.
1: Yeah. And I went directly to the root of the cause and healed it. From and the I was
0: to you to that root.
1: Yes. It helped me see. Um, so
0: when you say see, um, you, my understanding is you, you, you take some, you potentially purge, Mm-hmm. And then it kicks in what typically is an experience like you said you've done 50 so
1: yeah and every year I would say almost every single one of them have been very different. Yes So the first few that it was um, hellish it was pure darkness I saw black snakes I saw and what I realized is these snakes are not necessarily negative. They're just beautiful beings that are there. To protect you, because now you're really going into the scary stuff of your, of your brain.
0: So that's just to that, that scare you away. Scare you from away. The scary to
1: break you in gently. Mm. So you face some of your fears and you hold back. You go a little deeper into the abyss of this what you've got neatly packed in parts of your brain, the memories that you don't want to face because this is what disease is, I mean, mm. especially depression, all, all kinds of things That's you know that you've um, fragmented from, um, whether it's this incarnation, and if you believe in previous ones, previous lifetimes, or, or family challenges, or whatever that you've inherited. Um, so it, are you sure you want to go back there? It, to me, this is what I call it, like, are you sure you want to go there? Are you sure? It's always facing a little bit more fear each night to a point where I saw myself as a prisoner with the door wide open. Hmm. And even then I couldn't walk out. And that was about five ceremonies in. And I said, okay, I see it. I see that all of this is the trappings of my own mind, but I cannot seem to get out. And then it took a few more ceremonies and I started to have some major breakthroughs where what I now call, the divine light, the clear light. I started to see little glimpses of it, and beautiful lessons started to come through. And I and then I would ask a lot of questions. So it is you and your and your subconscious are having a conversation. So what does heighten level of DMT? And all ayahuasca is is heightening the level of DMT, DMT
0: in your system, which you naturally create,
1: which is in all of us. Any Exactly. So it's not something artificial to your system. It's just heightening the amount of dmt in your system that's taking you back into those layers of subconscious mm-hmm. um, memories that are stored and it's making them conscious in that state where you can process it just like you might with a psychotherapist and i mean not necessarily in the first few sessions mm. but eventually
0: but you, also, it also holds you there
1: it holds you there where you can see it as the witness versus the victim Mm hmm. So this was the beauty of it. So now, you know, just like if you're on a, with a psychologist or a psychotherapist, he's or she is the witness to you sharing your story. Now you as the soul become the witness to the things that are holding you in the state of for me in the state of depression. Mm. And I was able to see that. And one by one, I was able to unpack them over the course of seven weeks. Um, and that, that's what it took to get to a point of feeling a sense of liberation. And from that point on, it was, it, it just got better. The integration is extremely important. So the next. What does the
0: integration mean?
1: Because once you're in your daily life, you're So I, I left the jungle, went, went to, I went home, had mm. beautiful holidays with my family and did go come back to Peru to visit Machu Picchu. Now with absolute gratitude in my heart for, the wisdom that that land held and the medicine held for me and mm-hmm. just, um, and had a great time. But, and then going back in January to Toronto and with again still no job and not planning to work in the near future, all the other shadows that I still had to process popped up. Except this time I wasn't falling into a crazy depression and being suicidal because this time I had a coping mechanism. I knew that as things got worse, and I always knew I would have to go back to the jungle because even seven weeks for the level of trauma that I had gone through in this lifetime, it was going to take more work and more time. Hmm. So I went back. um, So a lot of things was coming up and uh, about five months later, I went back and, and spent another month, another four weeks, sorry, five weeks in the jungle. And this time it was a different center And I would really, this was the pinnacle of all centers, I would say, Mm. where the shaman, who's actually American, but living in the jungle for almost 20 years, is that that basic Cassie, we need to detox the entire body from gallbladder, kidney, liver,
2: we're
1: going to put you on superfoods. So it was like as as, as I was at a um, holistic nutritional camp, Mm -hmm. which was supplemented with ayahuasca. Yes. (laughs) Along with other plant medicines. And that took me, took my unraveling and integration to a whole new level. So that even course corrected some other physical issues I was having in my body. Mm. And all of those symptoms went away and I needed some medication for those things at that time. Cause I not I mean, it was depression that I refused to go on medication, but the other things I did go to doctors. Yeah. Um, so all of the symptoms went away. I was like, wow, <laughs> not only is this working on my depression, it's it, healing. I had digestion. Digestion issues and bowel issues and bleeding and all the alcohol, everything cured. Um, so what I now see is that mental disease was creating really significant energy blocks in my body that was now starting to manifest as physical illnesses. And I truly believe if nothing had been done, I probably would have developed some sort of major tangible disease because depression is a bit harder you know, to speak about yeah. it, to, but I might've ended up with cancer in a hospital because mm. that was, you know, that was kind of the road I was headed on. I was having all the symptoms of someone who might have some serious illness and be ending up in a hospital. So this medicine um and the whole treatment program at the center was clearing my, my physical body and healing my psychological system. There was a real holistic approach to it. And that um on one evening I Um, crossed what I now call a near-death experience, I crossed over into the light and witnessed the divine clear light experience and it's extremely difficult to cross over because this is what I think the Bible calls purgatory. As we're transitioning and leaving our bodies, we start to see how amazingly divine and perfect we are and we start to judge our, we see all the judgments we had about ourselves. Like when I was younger, I was told I was not pretty and I believed it. I was told my skin was too dark and that I wasn't skinny enough and not smart enough. And, and this, I mean, no one intentionally tries to do that to you. It's just different psychological, social conditioning that.
0: These come lots of little knots in your mind. Yeah. Brain.
1: But you internalize them and they believe, you believe them to be true. And as an adult, we don't get counseled into these little unquestioned beliefs. Is this actually really true? I don't
0: even know that they're playing out.
1: No, you don't. And so for the first time I saw that I had all these, I had forgiven a lot of people at this point. So I didn't have any um, bad negative feelings towards any employers um, or my abusers or my family. I had absolutely peace with all of these people external to me. Where it was really challenging to cross over was I hadn't forgiven myself for all the beliefs I held. That I thought to be true and that were punishment that that was self punishment, which a lack of forgiveness. So I had to forgive myself for all the ways that I thought I was imperfect. Cause what I, and the only way to cross back into the light is to see the divine grace, the love and divinity that you really are, the clear light, the universal consciousness that you're a part of. And I experienced it. And this is what I, since then I've talked to a couple other people that have had near death experiences and all of us is like, yeah, that was it. Like you see how beautiful all of us are as souls and how every one of us. So I have curly, frizzy, crazy hair and dark skin, and I'm not that tall. And and all of it was, I I chose it is the other part I saw for the perfect human experience because our souls, as I experienced not red, or as someone told me as I experienced, have no color. I, mean, no. I actually know it from direct experience. My soul had none of our souls have color. And we pick all our, our human avatar for the experience that we want to have. Now, that's a difficult one, for especially people who have experienced racism um, or prejudices or whatever other form of adversity based on how they appear. But That adversity is part of the experience we came to have. Mm. And for me, some of the racism I experienced was part of my adversity. Uh, Sorry, part of my experience, the adversity was part of it. So all of these things that I thought were flaws and mistakes and things I thought of as, uh, that I was still holding this burden, got revealed to me that none of it has ever been a mistake, including the abuse I had agreed to it. And I asked the divine like, Why on earth did I agree at five and a half to be raped and abused by several men? Why would I want to be made redundant at a job that I worked extremely hard for? Why would, and all the whys kept coming up because I said you wanted your heart so open and you wanted to truly understand compassion. You wanted to understand many people's sufferings from what it feels like to be let go from a job you cared about what it feels like to be depressed, abused, um, to be made fun of for how you look, racism. You want a direct experience of all these things so your heart can be burst open to the deepest level of compassion. So these were the way you designed this human experience to be the most loving, empathetic, compassionate version of yourself. So you got what you wanted mm. and the path wasn't easy. The price was high but here you are. And that's when I was able to cross because I had to And this is what purgatory is coming to terms with all these things that you didn't understand and you judge and, and you attach to it's letting go of all of this and coming to deep inner peace with that, that then allows you to go back into the light. And, and that's when I got even more things revealed to me, which I'm talking about in the book. And from then on, it became, and then, and then I and then I understood what 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 we what in Christianity we call baptism, because it was a submergence through water, and coming back into my body was also through water. So, um, having grown up Catholic, and I know the water is a strong element in Hinduism, in mm. in Judaism, in in many and in, in Islam, there's it's it's so similar. Is all the other thing I saw that whether you're Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist. The root of all of these things, none of them were actually religions. All of the avatars, the messengers of love for all of these things had the same message, love one another. Uh, all of their languages was love and peace and oneness. And that's what I experienced. So for me, the whole division between you, me, separation, race, just all disappeared. And I, I truly started to experience oneness and, and understood for the first time what that meant and that we really are all the same and that we're just here to help each other, walk each other home and have these amazing, what can be amazing experiences once we wake up from our own, what we consider to be sufferings. And um, I, I, I had the option of not coming back. So I was asked when I was on the other side, Are you sure? Can you handle more? Are you going to go back or should we send in someone else? And this is what I now know is called a soul walk-in where it's the same person, but another soul has come in. And I said, no, 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 I'm going back. I'm going to go finish this because I now have a message for the people. And I chose to come back and reincarnate into my body, into the same body. And I came back and that happened three times. I went back to source within one week, three times. And each time I was given a very clear message of how to go forward. And more of the cosmic universal truths were shown to me, revealed. And I started to experience um, many things that we now consider to be religion but I experienced it in its own divine form before they got corrupted in the form of religion.
0: Can you give me an example?
1: Um, Let's see. One of them is uh, prayer. Prayer has been externalized as, as idol worshiping praying to a statue, having all these rituals, whether you're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, doesn't matter. Each one has its own rituals. That we're praying to some figure, some enlightened master or goddess, and, and we're asking them to help us. And what I was shown was that actually the divinity is inside of you. This is what Jesus said too. It is all inside of you. Ramana Maharishi, an Indian uh, Hindu sage, said the same thing. Um, even Muhammad said the same thing from Islam. It's inside of you, and that awakening and pr- all med- prayer is just meditation, sitting in stillness in divine union with yourself, so that you can hear the wisdom that's coming from within you. And they've external, and the way we're taught that in school and in religion is that you have to go to an institution, whether it's a church, synagogue, mosque, temple, whatever you call it, and pray to. Something outside of you. And that was clarified for me. Mm. So I now believe that you can practice any religion you want, if you want to maintain a religious practice, but to have an esoteric direct relationship with that energy. So you can call on any of these ascended masters, as is what I call Jesus now, an ascended master. You can call on Jesus, but not in the way it's been institutionalized and taught as this power that's going to come down and forgive you and whatever. No, these are amazing sages who have come before us to show us how to have a a compassionate, empathetic life leading by love. And if so, when you, when you're in your moments of where we fall from grace, and I still do, and you struggle, you Mm -hmm. you can call on any any master you want. Um, If you, if you, if you, if you feel a desire to call on yourself even better. Speak to your higher self. Say, "I need help," Um, and and ask for support, ask for guidance. Because then the guidance comes in many forms. Whether it's a friend, an article you read, something you overhear, the guidance comes. Or and for me, it comes with a direct inner voice that speaks to me. And so somehow the guidance comes, and only when you're centered in your heart and you feel that peace, do you have clarity to know what is really beautiful guidance coming from a loving place versus fear. Hmm. And anytime you're feeling hatred or separation or judging other people, that's not coming from love. And the other thing I started to see is it's okay to say, have boundaries, love one another does not mean Put up with abuse and stay in difficult situations. Endlessly. Exactly. You can have clear boundaries. You can send them loving energy, and I'm lovingly disconnecting from you because I love myself truly and know that I don't need to subject myself to this kind of abuse, whether it's physical, emotional, psychological, verbal,
2: Mm.
1: whatever kinds of energetic. Yeah, that's another one that people don't understand. Energetic abuse, any of those things, and boundaries, and walk away. You're still being really loving, but having clear boundaries helps you stay in that divine presence with and in alignment with the Holy Trinity, which is your thoughts, what you, um, so first, what you feel, your heart, what you think, your thoughts, and how you act. So the Holy Trinity, even that is not outside of yourself,
0: hmm.
1: it's all within you.
0: Heart, thoughts, actions.
1: Thoughts, you what you feel, what you think, and what you do. That, when you're in absolute alignment, your head, heart, and actions are aligned. You are now an avatar of the love, acting and executing in the way that the teachings of these amazing some not all the teachings some of them have been corrupted or misunderstood, but some of the teachings tell us to. And I understood this firsthand. So I went from absolutely rejecting religion and the word God. I still do not consider myself a religious person, mm-hmm. but I'm, I consider myself now a faith-based spiritual person um, who, and I think Jesus is a pretty cool dude. So is Buddha and Krishna. And, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that, they're, they're pretty all right. So the, uh, the, um, there was this lightness, this joyousness, because I don't look at them as God anymore. Look at them as, these are kind of cool guys (laughs) that really knew how Mm. to walk their talk.
0: And you've gone deeper into this whole journey in your book.
1: Yes. So I go deeper into, and also like the challenges that come up, even knowing all this, I still had um, a couple of days of depression here and there. It never goes on for months and there's no suicidal ideation, but the depression relapse is real. It's just not as crazy as it used to be. And the reason for that, as I now see it, is because the physical body is still holding a memory. There's parasites in our system that are holding the memory. Mm-hmm. And these things still affect your chemical balance. So as I started to realize that, I started to remove the stigma for myself from it and say, talk about it because if you don't and you've done this all this work and I've had the privilege and of not working for over 5 years now by stretching every resource I have and selling everything I own um who else can do this like I mean I truly consider myself fortunate to be able to have done this work um so I now say if you if you feel moments of depression you're not regressing it this is how ascension ascending to the greatest version of yourself works because you clean out the debris and then you find a little bit more. Face those snakes. Yeah, well, or in real life, you might yes. face some real snakes. <laughs> yeah. um, and in my case, I live in sort of a jungle area in bud. I face some real snakes sometimes. Um, or it's just human snakes or other, other challenges. Um, and we integrate through facing these challenges, these growth opportunities. And there's moments in that that might be so challenging that you get feel a little depressed. It might just feel a little heavy. But then you don't go so deep. There might be still life adversities that throw curveballs at you, mm. and you just kind of ride, you learn to ride the wave a little better until
0: be you be okay with not being okay.
1: Yeah, and and then you start to truly feel the joy in the okay and not okay. Everything feels like because you're no longer attached to this flesh and body the way you used to be. You see it as, and I I chuckle at it now when I can, if it's really difficult, then I might need a day uh, where I'm not feeling so good. But for the majority of the time, I can laugh at myself. Oh, okay. Isn't that an interesting experience I wanted to have? And I can look at my life as the observer versus being pulled into the drama. It's even when I meet some challenging people. And I've had a few in the last couple of years. And I look at these souls as teachers now. And and silently send them blessings, though the human me definitely does not want to have anything to do with them. (laughs) And I'm walking away from them. And usually one, you know, like, thank you, brother. Thank you, sister, for showing up, showing me what is not okay with me. But I'm sending them love because I realize all of these are divine in disguises. They're only playing the role I asked them to. That doesn't need any need to tolerate them in yes. my life.
0: Yes. They've come to make you reflect.
1: <laughs> you, okay. And thank you. That's why I truly send them blessings. Thank you for the difficult lesson. Agreeing to play the difficult lesson I asked you to play. Mm. The lesson's complete. Goodbye.
0: <laughs> so um, as we look forward, you obviously, you've gone deep into your, deeper into your journey in your yes. book um you were telling me before you're about 80 percent finished with your book
1: yeah i'm excited
0: yeah and when, when are you due to release
1: well initially i was going to self-publish mm. but given me sharing this now being public about it i've had requests from people from russia um and germany and all these language translations which i never even thought of because i yes. never, never plan to be a writer um i'm now looking for the right publisher Mm. Um, and with still the mission that anyone who wants the book for free and cannot afford it, that the publisher will, and I will just give it to them an electronic version for free. Mm. So that premise of my initial desire mm. to keep this wisdom open, not to lock it up. Cause there's some beautiful things that I'm sharing about the other side, what happened, how I mm. integrated, And so there's lots of things. Um, so the book, yeah, hopefully end of the year, if we, if I align with the right publisher, or early next year, um, divine timing.
0: Indeed. Yeah. And what does the um, next three to five years look like for Cassie? Oh, does she have any idea or any plans any goals?
1: Hopefully meeting the love of my life and having a kid. (laughs) 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 Um, oh no, but seriously, I, I hope I'll be touring with the book, um, and serving because I plan to do all my work for free. Meaning that the only thing I ask for is, my cost of travel and um, give me a place to sleep and eat to be covered and the rest is donation and the donation could be zero if they can't afford it or do anything else. So I want to truly travel and, and spread this message of oneness, love. And also what I've now realized is this inner peace is the birthing place to outer peace. So if every one of us starts to realize what, I mean, and that's why my book is called my pursuit of peace It's only through this realization that I'm realizing the importance of being in harmony with our planet, with all beings, animals, um, and what that peace feels like, so a sacred activism next three to five years, um, while I enjoy a beautiful family life at the same time.
0: When you, given the fact that you have had such an expanded experience, and, and, and gone to that state of oneness, Mm -hmm. when you, now that you've sort of come back to the experience, which is Cassie, Mm -hmm. what have you learned about that experience and the identity within that experience?
1: That I took life way too seriously. This is supposed to be fun our incarnations were not meant to be painful. It's our attachment to all of what's happening to us. And in a lot of cases, rightfully so, definitely in my case, I was raped and abused. But as we, as the Cassie that's here today, I realize it's all about joy. Service is joy, because the part of that, like how can serving and helping alleviate depression or people who have been abused, how can that be joy? Because I said the seeing people transform is joy for me so that's where service becomes joy helping someone get out of poverty and doing something or healing the planet rescuing animals from being slaughtered all of that is joy for me even though i'm working or working towards things that might feel heavy and painful the result of it is joy and i think all of life is meant to be joy so i and to, and fun and so how can I, I think the biggest takeaway for me is life is meant to be fun. joyous, happy. Just every time difficulties show up, just realize the lesson the experience is better way to call it versus a lesson. Um, it's just part of your experience. Oh, okay. That experience is done. Okay. Next.
0: What do you think the purpose of your experience is?
1: To yeah. be a messenger of love to truly help people realize that we we are infinite loving beings and we truly are all brothers and sisters and connected to each other on such a cosmic level and to truly care about one another and be the avatars of love, the human incarnations of love and compassion and spread this because as this amplifies so much of what we see as problems in the world, will gradually disappear. None of it's an overnight trick. But racism, atrocity, hate, um, workaholism, because do you think people who are this loving and care this deeply about one another are going to keep buying and wasting money and superficial things that they now need to go work two jobs for to pay for? No. We're going to realize, wait, what do I actually need to be happy? Not much. Do I need that status of vice president or global director or... Whatever else that comes with it, not really. So your ambition changes. So for me, my ambition is now tied to compassion. I have a deep sense of compassion that's calling me to serve, which might look like ambition from the outside, but I call it it's a compassion-based ambition. And that's exciting
2: Mm.
1: because there's no attachment, no, I need to do this because I, I realize the divine perfection in all of it. It's fun. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna have a lot of fun doing this and talking to people and and helping people realize certain things and doing whatever I can that I'm called to do. And
0: having seen that ambition in the the, the marketing toy world and seeing what that's capable of, now it's aligned. That I, I say correctly.
1: Exactly. And actually, even the fact that I was a branding st- strategy specialist for innovation it's and choice. Like sure. Those
0: little jobs along the way that put you in the right place for yeah, branding no. and marketing, which is now putting you in the right place. Job for.
1: for Well, because now I am an ambassador of the divine. <laughs> I'm here on a divine purpose. Who's
0: marketing manager? <laughs> <laughs>
1: God picked the right person. <laughs> it's like, wait, we have a strategy problem. <laughs> we need to re strategize and help people understand what faith is.
0: <laughs> but it needs that. It needs that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, Cause and what's happening at the moment isn't working.
1: No, and, and a lot of people have lost the way in terms of a lot of us, whether we're atheists or agnostic, don't go to church. Don't believe in religion, mm. not just Christianity. Like I talked to, I have Jewish friends and Hindu friends and Muslim friends there, they might be any one of those by culture, but most of them couldn't care less about the teachings of it, and they're not practicing. And so there's there's a cultural tie still for a lot of people to whatever that they grew up in, but they're kind of lost. And I realize, you know, it's actually a coming back to faith, but it's an internalized faith, mm. that it's an empowering faith, that you are everything you need. And everything else that you fear is, is how you withhold love from yourself. Oh, so all of your fears. It's not how you withhold love from someone else. It's a mirror for how you withhold love from yourself. That's right. And peace to me, inner peace, is what anchors your ability to see what love is and joy is. It's because of that calm stillness that no matter what happens, you can be loving, that no matter what happens, you'll find the joy in it. And that comes from this inner piece of peace. piece.
0: Superbly put. What piece of advice do you give the person who is stuck in their corporate role, resonates with this, doesn't have the resources to take five years off and go mm-hmm. on a journey and has responsibilities of, I don't know, kids and and, and things like that where can they start
1: well first of all i didn't think i had the resources to be off for five years Mm. i thought maximum two Mm. the first thing is look at ways you can simplify your life or even before that it's always good to look at where you can simplify your life Mm -hmm. cut out things that you're spending money on and doing things that that are just a waste of energy like why do you need to upgrade your phone every two years or every year Or you need the next latest clothing or the next latest shoe or the handbag or whatever, a car. A lot of these things will last a lot longer. And this is where we've been conditioned for the next new thing and the next new thing. And because I talk about the financial aspect first, is because financial is the first barrier to people even attempting to take the journey, even if they truly wanted to, because of, you know, mortgage and kids and bills and whatever, right? And so... um, or the scarcity of I don't have enough money to do this. And I'm not a millionaire. I didn't have tons of money in the bank when I decided to do this. My peace of mind was more important than everything else. And so I would say start a meditative practice if you could. And if you have a difficult time meditating, just like I did, I couldn't get my mind to be calm. Um, I went and did Vipassana, which is a 10-day, 10, um, 10 days, 10 nights, 11-day course, completely free, based on donation, and food and board is included in that free. Go do something like that. It's non-religion based. It's based on Buddhist philosophy, but not tied to any religion per se. Um, take it, And if it, that doesn't resonate with you, find something that does. Learn to meditate because that's the stillness that's going to help you. Step one. Um, and look at little changes you can make to your diet. And so start the transition. Yes. Little things that you can do, um, if you can, if you're excessively drinking, cut out alcohol or minimize it. Um, be close to nature, connect with nature. What even if you live in a city, go into a park, go for a walk. 20 minutes a day does like, wonders for your, for your nervous system. Cause your parasympathetic nervous system, there's research that proves how it uh, truly helps you, helps you calm down and makes you feel that sense of peace and connectedness. Be barefoot in nature if you can. And if you live in a cold country, just even being barefoot at home inside your house, uh, for, uh, you know, it, that helps because it's that grounding. All of this helps on top of eating well. And, and then look at, look, I mean, look at your financial planning. Do you need everything that you need? Can you move? I mean, if you truly wanted to be off for a couple of years and there's some heavy stuff and you have kids, can you do something like move to a different country? where your resources can go a lot further and you still will have your savings, where it gives you the breathing room to be able to see more clearly. And you can do this with kids too. I see lots of people and I moved to Bali um, because one, we have fantastic food, great weather, and it the cost of living is super low. That's how I've been able to not work for five years. So I significantly reduced my cost of living and the people there with kids move and the schools, great international schools there, and and there's parents who are going through massive life transformations who exactly for that reason they couldn't just disappear and not have responsibilities to their children. And but they find a way to create that space. And and, and I think there's no one right way of doing it. For some people, it might be moving out into the countryside or whatever country they live in. Because again, it's the cities that cost a lot of money. Can you work remotely? Do you have to be in the office all the time? Find different things. You need to start a side job, a business or something that will eventually let you quit your day job that you may not like. Mm. So these are all things that you can start to explore. I
0: guess it's lots of little changes, not one big, huge one.
1: Yes, I I think. And and eliminating toxic habits that you have. Mm. like, Do you criticize people? Are you talking negatively about people? Mm. Because the reason that is maybe even the first place to start is... Negative talk and, um, engaging in low vibration, what I call low vibration conversations mm-hmm. and actions is it becomes part of your energy. And that person might actually have done some horrible stuff. Okay, talk about it for a minute or two if you need to vent.
2: Yeah, I'm not saying get it, out.
1: get it out of the system. Go tell your best friend or your partner, but don't dwell on it. Don't make that the foundation of your life,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is what happens to a lot of people when they're going through some major challenges. It becomes what this person did every single day. And don't try to let that dominate your life because it affects your frequency. So if you can acknowledge, okay, this is something that needs to transform I'm no longer going to become that gossiping or that, you know, whatever form, we may not always call it gossip. We may think it's well-intended advice. Does it really help or does it hurt? Hmm. Is there a change that will come of it or is it better to stay silent? And I'm not saying staying silent if you're seeing abuse or racism or something else really horrible. I'm not talking about those, but other things that you can easily just walk away from, it's none of your business. And even negative news, don't give so much attention to it because it's a distraction tool, especially some of the political stuff that happens, whether it's North America or in Europe or religious things that dominate our near like the differences between us and who's bombing who, try to eliminate this, that type of stuff because they're tools of distraction to keep us feeling the oneness, the unity that we truly are. And I, I got rid of my TV almost 10 years ago. Sorry, I was eight years ago, um, and I haven't. I I still get my news online, so it's not like I'm disconnected. I it, I don't even watch mainstream programming anymore because I realize even good entertainment sedates me from what's really going on. So I I watch amazing things now, like amazing documentaries, mm. comedies with things like that make me laugh. Yeah. And um, but it's by choice, and I select what I want to watch.
2: Good films.
1: Good films. Um, and conversation starters and educational, sometimes it's stimulating my mind to think differently. There's amazing uh, online channels, networks that you can go subscribe like $10 podcasts. podcasts. <laughs> Who would <have thought> that? <laughs> um, and remember to keep the lightness about all of the spiritualities, not so serious, Buddha would be laughing what what is considered buddhism now no <laughs> jesus is like i didn't say that <laughs> so so a lot of the things that would come to institutionalize it was never intended that way so bring a lightness play remember it's it's not so serious and there's some serious matters that need our attention but we can have fun t- in getting to the solution of some things We're just taking the painful road. And that we don't all have to wait for a crisis in our life. Mm. That's the other thing I want to say. You have to wait
0: till you're broken. (laughs)
1: Don't wait till you're broken. If you're feeling it, you're one of the lucky ones that you can feel it before it's a crisis. You're in a beautiful place. And I truly believe in the past, humanity has needed to get to that, all of us um, collectively, crisis helps awaken us. I think going forward, we can learn from other people's crisis and awaken.
2: Mm.
1: And we do, You probably may have had it in other lifetimes. Don't you? Don't need to repeat it. <laughs> um, so thank everyone else for taking on the challenge. Um, and you just now get to awaken without necessarily having to be traumatized in this in this incarnation. So that's why I say, if you're this beautiful soul, so I don't really have any pain and anything. Great. Serve from a place of joy. You don't need the trauma. And if you're feeling the beginnings of a crisis, get out early. Don't go all the way deep into it and wait till it gets really bad for the change.
0: Cassie, it's been beyond incredible listening to you today. Thank you. It's, I I feel truly, truly blessed to have shared this time and listened to your journey. It's, um, incredible incredibly synchronous how we managed to get this I mean we didn't say it at the start you, you're only here to, a week <laughs> you're only here a week to refresh your 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 your, your visa in in Bali. yeah um but um yeah it's it's been a it's such a strong story and so beautifully articulated, so I feel truly truly blessed to have sat and listened and had the opportunity to capture it and share it.
2: Thank
0: Thank you you so much.
1: And thank you for the privilege of creating the space for me to share this. Hopefully, this will reach whoever it's meant to reach. Um, And um, I don't know if you know this. I've done many small little talks, but this is my first podcast.
0: And this is my 50th podcast.
1: How beautiful is that? (laughs) So who knows where this goes?
0: Indeed. And and I hope in the future that we can get together again. And see how the journey's going.
1: Yeah, i be excited once the book is out. Indeed. Yeah.
0: Indeed. Cassie, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you.